0: hello and welcome to the disney animated cannonball i'm talon lee he him
1: i'm fox lee she her
0: this movie didn't try so neither will we
1: this is the disney animated cannonball a podcast where we watch the entirety of the disney animated Canon. or else and uh today's movie is else
0: <laughs> <laughs>
1: what did we watch this week talon
0: we watched 1963's the sword in the stone
1: Oh, an illustrious entry into the Disney animated canon, no Mm -hmm. doubt. Mm
0: -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Well, it's my turn to do the plot in 60 seconds.
1: Oh, please, yes, tell us everything about what happens in this movie. Or at least everything you can cram into a minute. Go!
0: A young boy named Arthur tries to be a squire, meets a wizard. The wizard hangs around him for an unspecified quantity of time. They go to London. The young boy pulls the sword from the stone, is made king. The end.
1: (laughs) Okay, well, uh, you're not wrong. You're 40 seconds of not wrong. Mm. But uh, you did leave out all the furry shit. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, dear. Uh, Normally, we go on to talk about a pre-existing relationship with this. I think this might be the only one that basically has two, uh? Because, uh, I don't. I I read the storybook, but I didn't see the actual movie for a long time, and I don't much care for it. You?
0: I've seen excerpts of it in, like, pictures and stuff. Like, Merlin was put on things, and the poster is obviously very, you know, swank-looking.
1: Oh, yes, it does have a lovely vintage poster, doesn't it?
0: Yeah. Uh, in fact, I was so concerned that I was going to have nothing to talk about with this movie that I actually went and did a bit of mining research out the back. <laughs> so we've got a cache.
1: Yeah, that's going to be a lot, of, a lot of whatever land. A lot of land, I guess, in uh, in this episode.
0: I did genuinely think that this movie was older. Like, if you had asked me before we started this project and just given me like single pictures from every single one, Uh, and said, you know, rearrange these in order, I almost certainly would have put this and the other sketchy quality movies before stuff like Snow White.
1: Well, not Snow White, probably. (laughs)
0: No, I probably would have.
1: You didn't know Snow White was the first?
0: No. Oh. Well, that's the thing. Like, I'm used to the story of history being constantly corrupted. So when someone says, this was the first time this happened, Ah. what they usually mean is, this is the first one we want to talk about.
1: Gotcha. Gotcha. All right. Especially in terms of uh, uh, commercially based retroactive history.
0: Yeah, so it was entirely possible that I would have had constructed some narrative in my head of like, yeah, Snow White's the first feature film, but they made all this other scratchy looking stuff before that (laughs) and then stitched it together for re-release after it. Maybe that's the narrative of how it happened. There's a whole bunch of different ways I can imagine explaining that because it just doesn't look as good.
1: But... I mean, the sketchy era does give you that impression as well. Like, mm. uh, right up until uh, well, everything that comes after Sleeping Beauty and before, I think, Great Mouse Detective is, is in that sketchy era, and it, like it is a remarkably different quality what happened in the Silver Age. So it makes sense that you get an impression that it's, it's from a rougher time.
0: And I do have some stories on that as well.
1: On the other hand, the characters do not look as old, the earlier stuff, especially.
0: Definitely not. Uh, the action in this movie has got a lot more in common with a Looney Tunes.
1: This does feel very Looney Tunes a lot of the time, doesn't it? Like, I feel like this movie exists mostly so they could draw cartoon animal shenanigans for the better part of an hour.
0: Oh, well, we can get into the story of why this movie exists later. <laughs> Again, I did research. I have a case.
1: <laughs> oh, dear. Okay.
0: <laughs> Normally, when we do have a pre-existing relationship, we have the section we call the double take, where we just look at things and go hey, you know, what's some stuff about this that, uh you know, looks different now as an adult? And this is not quite a double take in this case. But I would just like to point out, Merlin is the proto-genie.
1: Yeah, that's pretty fair. All the uh, out-of-time references and even a few pop culture swipes here and there. Mm. Yeah, I'll I'll let that pass. We've been doing a lot of observing uh, recurring character designs and, and prototypes that we would see evolving in later Divis, so I think that belongs here.
0: Also, I think he's the voice model. That was subsequently used for characters like Scrooge McDuck.
1: Uh, a lot of recurring animal designs. I yeah, I think they're not the same, but uh, a lot of the a lot of the like five second animal stuff that we see in the the Merlin and Mim Duel, uh is not the same as what I think inspired some of the designs from Robin Hood and Jungle. Mm. Ooh, yes, <laughs> uh, I did notice. You remember the wolf from Peter and the Wolf that we made fun of for not looking like a goddamn wolf? Oh yeah, he's back yeah. <laughs> with his weird skinny body and his strange mane.
0: And his trumpet-like face. Yeah.
1: Cartoon wolves are weird.
0: Disney's cartoon wolves especially.
1: Especially. I feel like it has to do with public perception of wolves because they're still like an evil beast at this point and Like, you know, nowadays we're pretty pro-wolf, really. You
0: can also look at this in terms of the single individual... Like, this is a rare instance where what you have is one individual's artistic sensibilities that then gets filtered through another 15 or so, and then that gets propagated outward by people who are trying to replicate upwards. So the fact that the wolves look so fucked up is that no one in that top bubble of artists went... It's a fucked up looking wolf. <laughs> they all went, that'll do.
1: And this is what all wolves look like in animation, so that kind of follows, I guess. It's not weird so much as it's just the cinematic language of the time.
0: Uh-huh. <laughs> and uh, once we got through that, in record fucking time, <laughs> now let's open the Yikes Door. What
1: is behind the Yikes Door for this one? It's not too yikes.
0: Okay, so the whole point behind the Yikes Door was originally product of its time, Okay. So there is a degree to which it's just, hey, let's look at this in this context. Um, And there is a thing here which is a rare example of a positive thing behind the yikes door. Or rather, a positive product of its time. Which is, in the making of this, if you're you're at all the kind of immense fucking dork I am, you have probably (laughs) read many of the legends around Arthur. There's a lot of stuff that, as a product of its time, is very sincerely, ditching tons of that stuff. Uh, The story director, Bill Pete, basically said everything in the Arthurian legend is like jammed together and has multiple different repeating versions so what I had to do was sift out the simplest story I could. And like, part of that is you couldn't do a story with the scope of of a actual Arthurian legend because as you and I know, the the sword and the stone bit in the stories where it occurs is really early on in his career.
1: Well, by definition, yes.
0: (laughs) Yeah. uh, So rather than go, let's try and encapsulate thousands of different versions of stories, let's just make an interesting attempt at the smallest bit. And I think that's admirable. The rest of the stuff behind the Yikes Door sucks.
1: (laughs) It's also a much better choice in terms of like a kid's movie. Yeah. Because like... You know, anything that involves, say, Guinevere is, uh, you know, it's not for kids. Ew. It's depressing and awful.
0: Pretty much, yeah. Now, uh, some other stuff I noticed. <sighs> One, it's not a British fucking legend.
1: <laughs> I was gonna say that, because you, I think when they showed London on the map, you were like, why the fuck is London in Wales? I was like, well, I mean, that that goes along with stealing this entire fucking legend from Wales. Yeah. <laughs>
0: Yeah, uh, for anyone not aware, The Legend of King Arthur is not originally an English myth. It's originally a Welsh myth. Ah,
1: uh, yes. Merlin. Yeah. A very <laughs> Bretonian name.
0: <laughs> Incredibly British, yeah. Fucking...
1: <laughs> Arthur, yes. Very, very English. Very good English name, that. What the fuck
0: happened to the Jutes, anyway?
1: Very Christy.
0: <laughs> um, they actually provide, inexplicably, they provide a date for this movie. <laughs> Uh, which is this movie st- is happening in five hundred and eighty-eight A.D. I don't know why you would provide that date. That seems really stupid. Did they
1: did they specify? Oh, I was all set to apologise to making for making fun of them for putting London town in there, <laughs> and then I went, hang on, no, I I'm I'm trying too hard to be funny. London is actually old as balls. I should look that up. Uh so I happen to know forty six AD is when Roman London started to be a thing. Yeah. So I was gonna to apologize to the movie for thinking poorly of it. So when Merlin says that the first issue of the London Times is gonna come out in fifteen hundred years.
0: Twelve hundred years.
1: Twelve hundred years, he's only off by nearly a century. Yeah. <laughs> Oops Yeah That's uh,
0: seventeen
1: eighty five.
0: Yeah. Uh yeah, it's 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 just why would you do that? <laughs> Why?
1: <laughs> I'm not saying you should expect people to fact check your films dates, but why give dates? Yeah. <laughs> it's it's the legend of King Arthur you don't need. To specify. Uh,
0: similarly, the idea that the new world would be discovered in 1492. Oh,
1: didn't like that globe. <laughs> I know, I've traveled to the future, so I know everything. That's why my globe just says, new world over one of the continents.
0: To be discovered. There are fucking people there right now.
1: Yeah, I, I picked that up later on in the description of, uh, when he goes to, uh, Barbados? Yeah. Bahamas.
0: He goes to Barbados. No, B- Bermuda. Bermuda? Yeah. Not the Bahamas? We're... No.
1: <laughs> I'm not gonna do it. Alright, fine. I almost did. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, the point is, he uh, they they slip in that, you know, yes, but it won't be discovered for- <laughs> it's like, there are people living there right now. Fucking, wash your mouth out, Al. <laughs> There's
0: a fucking Incan Empire happening at that point. Also- we knew the world was round about a thousand BC.
1: Oh, yeah, that whole... I mean, okay, probably in medieval England, yes, they would uh, look poorly upon someone who said the world was round, but yeah, humans worked that out, like, several thousand years ago.
0: Sailors have always known it. <laughs> if you if your job involves watching ships leave, you work it out.
1: Oh, that too, yeah. But <sighs> I mean, there's literally a scientific proof of it from ancient Greece, right? Yeah. Yeah
0: using shadows. In fact, it wasn't just we proved the world was round, it was we proved how big the world is based on measuring two shadows. (laughs) It is incalculably irritating when people go on about oh well, we didn't work out the world was round until Christopher fucking Columbus got around to it. Fuck you and fuck him.
1: Which, I know he's not quite American, but it definitely comes back to the same, nothing mattered until America did Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Absolutely. Uh, Anyway. This is always going to be a problem to, to some degree when you put a character in your film which is inherently of its time and that character claims to be timeless. Yeah. So I guess probably that's just something you shouldn't do. Yeah, just or, don't do it. Yeah, probably not.
0: Uh, We have an extra little, you know, tweak while we're in there which is people who make fun of airplanes are assholes.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Definitely, I, I waver between like... I. I don't know who to root for in this fucking film, right? <laughs> like, you know, Arthur's nice, but he's nothing. I I have some friendly words for a boy who's kind enough to, to feel sorry toward a heartbroken squirrel. But, yeah. you know, he doesn't have a lot of personality going around. So then we're left between Merlin sort of wildly swinging between, like, weird uncle and temper tantruming stupid headmaster and... Archimedes being like, oh, you know, look, he does care for you. He'll save your life and everything. And then just being a fucking arsehole the next minute.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So, hmm uh, it's all a bit much.
0: The educational model is fundamentally punitive. They both believe it's okay to punish a student for failing.
1: Oh, the educational model is atrocious.
0: <laughs> and my final note in the Yikes Door is where they very clearly just la-la-la'd through the verse from Mim's song that's about her tits and ass.
1: Yeah, what was up with that? You just- Fucking, I don't think that's an Ovid's time so much as they just gave up.
0: It's like, you, you clearly wrote the lyric. The whole sequence is timed out to this extra verse that's not there. And you just go la 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 instead. And she's shaking her hips and her boobs. What exactly was this verse going to be about? You're not hiding anything.
1: I mean, I know the 60s had a thing for pointy boobs, but... The- Those were very strange.
0: Oh, yeah, absolutely. Um, And as a point of extremely online internet trivia, uh, good papa is Norwegian for weird boobs. (sighs) Nonetheless, that's all I have behind the yikes door.
1: I got one more thing. Go for it. It's not especially yikes, Uh, but it is definitely of its time, which is the... The... Interesting usage of industrialization mm. uh, as the, uh, the solution to our kitchen problem of, uh, you know, just the uncritical, you know, ah, get an assembly line going. <laughs> yeah. Mm. Yeah,
0: actually, automating all of our processes so that no one has to do mundane work they don't want to do sounds like a great idea, comrade.
1: It does sound like a great <laughs> idea.
0: Maybe unions would help as well.
1: Well, I mean, Unions would probably make sure that the cook didn't get angry at anyone for this scenario. I guess she's out of a job.
0: Yeah, but I mean, she can still prepare food, I guess. Now,
1: I guess we shouldn't spend too much time investigating how what kind of impact Merlin's magic could have on the world around it, because down that logical path lies. N- ruin. Just absolute ruin.
0: The, the presence of a time-travelling wizard like Merlin destroys the world.
1: Yes, yes. absolutely. Uh, Eyelash Watch is real quick for this.
0: Next up, we have Swaggle Watch. And I was watching, and I didn't spot any.
1: (laughs) Swaggle Watch. (laughs) I'm not going to keep doing that.
0: (laughs) Uh, I didn't see any, which really surprised me. Because... Uh, Did you catch who was the character designer for this movie?
1: Did you catch who was the animation director for this
0: movie? Yep, it's Milt Carl. It's Milt.
1: Oh, well, that's fine. This movie wasn't trying that hard. (laughs)
0: But at the same time, there's a bunch of stuff that's very his style. There's a lot of bulgy, sweepy, arky kind of things. There's, There's an attempt at water splashing all over the place in the opening minutes. You know, there's definitely a lot of the kind of animation Milt Carl liked to play with. But we have a reason for why Milt Carl was not completely unrestrained in this movie later on.
1: <laughs> I'm assuming they couldn't afford to do anything too fancy. Because this whole movie reeks of of uh, needing to save money.
0: Secondarily, did you notice the backgrounds?
1: Uh, this was a lot like 101 Dalmatians in terms of backgrounds. We got really rough, like, crowded drawings. mm mm-hmm. uh, With that loose, offset, flat coloring kind of effect going on. I mean, it looks fine. I don't dislike it. But uh, especially when you get the occasional beautiful shot of a, a woodland scene that's fully painted, it, it's a bit jarring, yeah. If you notice it,
0: yeah, it, it is a little awkward. Like I don't, I don't want to sit here and say like, oh well, they look look at Disney fucking up by coloring outside the lines. But it's just that style permeates all through the backgrounds, and they do kind of degrade in quality, which obviously you're not really going to care. If you're a kid, it's the nerds like us standing around going, oh, well, the artistry of the backgrounds isn't being appreciated enough.
1: Well, it, like, it's not a big deal, and it is a stylistic choice. Yeah. So if it's a stylistic choice that you prefer, then that's great. I don't think it works super well for an Arthurian legend. No. Uh, it worked pretty well for r One one Nations, especially the London stuff, because it just sort of fit with that movie, which was very kind of... Jazzy. Fusion of, like, 60s America jazz and uh, grimy English.
0: If this movie could have looked like Sleeping Beauty, I imagine. I imagine yeah. that synthesis in my head is working.
1: It probably would have wanted. Uh, but instead it couldn't, so we got a bunch of cartoon fursonas.
0: Yep. And, uh... <laughs> And a really weirdly antagonistic sugar bowl.
1: I I noted this down in that it it felt very much to me, uh, like when we noticed well, when we talked about the ventriloquist from Fun and Fancy Free arguing with this puppet. Like, yeah, kind of doing the same bit. Yes, we. I guess we find it funny when a performer has mastery over a prop and then the prop sasses. Yeah.
0: Now, again, for ventriloquists, that's hack shit. <laughs> It was (laughs) hack shit in the forties, we could do better. It's
1: kind of hack shit as well. Well maybe it's funny because you're saying that the wizard is in fact someone who does does hack shit. A conjurer of cheap tricks, if you will. (laughs)
0: Now, as far as a grand thesis of this movie, like a single motivating animus that i think this movie has in the same way that we've talked about the way that other movies have like this important theme that's animating the story like women hate women uh <laughs> in this one i think it's very reasonable to say that the uh, the animating narrative is what is power and whose vision of power is correct
1: it is a it's a weird one isn't it like it feels like it's doing a straightforward deliberate moral Mm. Like a lot of the earlier Disneys are, but it's kind of muddy. Like, Merlin is not a Jiminy Cricket. We're not supposed to see this guy and go, ah, here is the voice of wisdom. Because, I mean, even beyond being, like, delightfully muddled and, and you know, kerfuffing about all the time, he's also just kind of a jerk sometimes and makes some bad choices and loses his temper. and Most. Merlin, far from, he's far from being, you know, a Disney surrogate telling children what to do.
0: Yeah. Um, Merlin also provides a lot of just general advice and it's almost all conflicting with something else he said just because he says so much
1: it's true a lot of it is really conflicting yeah like I in in a more coherent movie the moral of but I'm the one who's supposed to do the work well it doesn't matter as long as it gets done would you know come from the opposite party
0: yeah <laughs> similarly when you do listen to all of what Merlin said and I did take notes There is one theme he actually uses twice, which in a barrage of positions means that this is probably the one that's like meant to be central. And it does kind of line up with what we know of Disney, which is he has this wonderful dichotomy of Protestant reality, which is to say this is a movie about destiny, about being chosen and selected, while also you have to be the one doing the work.
1: There is a bit during one of his awful songs, so, No, there's a, a bit in one of his songs where he explicitly says, you know, you can't just wait and and leave it up to fate. And like, motherfucker, you are a wizard who saw him from, coming to you in the future and decided to change his life. You are fate.
0: Yeah. Um. And this is a really well-loved, very American ideology of oh, the yeah. world which is you get what you deserve coupled with the idea that if you don't make it happen it's your fault. Now, this is not an inherently racist perspective, but racists fucking <laughs> love it.
1: It's not inherently racist, but it is about entitlement coupled with blaming those who fail for their own failure. It's yep. if you succeed it's not your if you succeed it's because you've been given something, but if you fail, it's because you didn't try her.
0: Yes, it is magnificently Protestant in the same way that Fantasia is. It is a vile philosophy root and branch. It is also coming out of the mouth of a literal time-traveling, shape-shifting wizard.
1: It's, and it's so weird because it doesn't really go along with the rest of, of his, even the rest of what he says. Mm-hmm. Like, he, he says that in one breath, and the rest of the time he's sort of Shirking the conventional morality of of what we've had in other films in a way that's honestly kind of refreshing. Like, yes, why shouldn't we automate our fucking tasks? If no one has to do work that sucks, why make anyone do work that sucks?
0: And I almost thought for a minute there that what I was going to have is going off on a massive rant about the joust and about games of the era and what people did to play and how Ah. play was involved in the education system because there wasn't an education system. Um, And I thought I was going to do that, but more and more watching it, I became overwhelmed by how much, and this is something Disney uses a lot later on, uh, of the principle of the Fisher King. Are you familiar with this?
1: Yeah, it's uh, the, I don't know if it's directly literally king in whatever the trope name is referring to, but it's the idea that if, that there is a natural order, that involves a ruler and they will, by their presence, just cause things best. Like, you know, you won't get freak weather conditions. Uh, you won't get misfortune uh, befalling the kingdom or whatever. Because, like, the, the universe recognizes that the right person is in charge. It's just another, you know, God is happy with you for being the right king or maddie whatever.
0: Yeah, the Fisher King is an Arthurian legend, bonus. And it's about a king who, rather than sitting in his throne room, sits in a boat and fishes all day. And the country doesn't get to do much because the king is not involved. But also, it is cosmic. The king cries and the kingdom reigns. The king is happy and the sun shines. The notion of the Fisher King is the the twinning of the king with the land. And that is that without a king, this country has become overgrown and infested and dangerous. And
1: yeah. So the the original Fisher King is less about morality and more about, like, a direct emotional connection. The king is the land. Not so much as God ordains. Well, I mean,
0: yes, but also moving visions of what that means. Because a king should be happy, because the king is the king, and the king is the best person in the land. And unironic visions of these things, as promoted by the only people who can afford to have it reproduced, which is, again, kings, it's complicated
1: i'm also guessing if it's an old Welsh story it got a bunch of christianity retrofitted onto it with yeah. the modern retellings
0: oh yeah the earliest Ooh. versions of the pay uh, the earliest versions of the fisher king are pagan as shit
1: yeah right yeah
0: he has antlers in some
1: ah oh, sweet
0: and in others he doesn't have a boat he's a fish from the waist down oh. in a lake
1: cool <laughs> so i'm getting antlered mermaid
0: yeah with a big beard. Sirk! Go <laughs> oh, away, beard. And,
1: and, uh, you could have a hot sun. Yeah. <laughs> and I've written my own little mermaid.
0: <laughs> <laughs> um, but this inherentness of the land and the nature of the Fisher King then makes all of the ways that Arthur is constantly getting lucky make sense. The land likes Arthur. <laughs> a random squirrel likes Arthur. And, yeah, don't get me wrong. Another squirrel comes along and hits on uh on Merlin but he falls off things and trips over things or falls into things that are good for him when things are about to harm him random chance saves him the land seeks to protect its king <laughs>
1: I did, yeah, I had an early note about the, uh, the idea of like, oh, without a king, there was no, uh, you know, order, uh, no civility, and it was like a, the, the strong preyed upon the weak. Kings never do that, tell Yeah,
0: that's exactly when, my when notes. When there's a king. <laughs> my, my note says the strong oh, preyed upon the weak, like a king does. <laughs>
1: Yeah, it's, well, that's a fair we should have put that in of its time, because that is an extreme of its time reading.
0: When I talk about the land defending Arthur, when Archimedes makes fun of Arthur, there is a sudden gout of water through the roof that <laughs> soaks him. Like,
1: <laughs> Yeah, I mean, that's that's the kind of thing you normally get in these movies, whether there's a king or not. But it is funny to put that extra layer of expectation onto it and go, yeah, well, I mean, if it was.
0: Yeah. So, yes, Sword in the Stone has one central message, which is kings are good, and our response is death to kings.
1: (laughs) Obviously, everyone is very, very on board with kings are good, though. Like, it's like half a fucking second and everyone's like, cool, we're all into kings again. Except they've been functioning without one for apparently decades? But we're informed that it's been bad Talon <laughs> just because there's nothing to show that it actually seems bad
0: there is one wolf
1: <laughs> and one castle is falling down a lot which clearly is the fault of the king <laughs> yeah, what's... It's nothing to do with the people who live there not just you know maintaining shit
0: and Sir Ecto not knocking that thing down like what the hell man
1: that is a very unsafe tower yes you should probably have demolished that years that's ago that's gonna
0: fall in your courtyard and kill some people It
1: is. hopefully his son
0: yeah Well, we'll get to that.
1: Can I not hope that that Kay dies? He is a massive douchebag. He
0: is an immense douche.
1: He's also weirdly played. I don't understand why they didn't get an actor who could yell for that guy. Because he's angry all the time and yelling at Arthur all the time. But he can't yell. He just is very Britishly angry at you.
0: Oh, we're going to get to that.
1: (laughs) Mm, I don't like it.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I have one final note on Empire. kings oh
1: please what accent does arthur have you you read my mind darling (laughs) this is the most fucking american king arthur i've ever fucking met he's he's like one step from like golly gee willikas mr mel and i sure hope the president gives a nice address on the television
0: yep this is something that was first brought to my attention in a paper on racism in narration in video games with the example mm-hmm. of the 2006 Prince of Persia, The Sands of Time, where literally every character has a Arabic-ish accent, except the prince who is British. The same thing holds here. This is a world where every character is British, except the one who is chosen to rule over all of them.
1: Right. And it's not normally a a. I guess we don't say race. It's not. No. Uh, institutionally enshrined, but it's not the form of nationalism you expect no. uh it's it's just such an odd fucking choice i they've had British characters. I, I remarked last time that like almost all these old Disney movies that have a location are English mm-hmm. and and they've had English accented main characters so far why is he is Arthur. <laughs> Oh, God. We did get a little of this in Peter Pan, too, now that I think about it. But that was more like America is the accent for the fantasy world. English is the accent for the real world. Yeah. But yeah, yeah it's more than just the, the dub problem of, like, uh, you know, Americans don't think American counts as an accent. Mm. It's actively a choice to have just one standout character, not.
0: And that was almost certainly done in the names, not of specifically saying, look, England, we are here in charge of you now but rather was done in the name of, well, this character needs to be relatable. So we can't possibly have him have a British accent because who would find that relatable? But we'll get to the voice acting.
1: (laughs) Oh, but we're just going to put a pin in this that will last until uh, 1990. (laughs) see you there, everyone. That's when Fox is going to get really mad about voice casting. And that means it's time for the random notes and bits and thoughts we had otherwise known as Whateverland.
0: First point, I bet we have the same first point. Chintzy fucking book.
1: (laughs) It is. This might be the worst one so far. They're always the worst one. I'm not... This one didn't necessarily look like live photography to me, but it moved kind of like stop motion, so I don't know what to think. (laughs) Did they just manage to make an actual prop look incredibly fake? (laughs) 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 I don't know. I'm kind of impressed, but like that... That shade of red is so like tacky, lacquered looking thing. <laughs> Wasn't good! Nope. I wonder if this is the last storybook we see for a while.
0: I hope so. I'm oh,
1: keep an eye out for that. I have the notion it might be.
0: Well, we got the Jungle Book coming up next. I'm certain oh, that starts yeah. the book.
1: Oh, yeah. Okay, Jungle Book might be the last book. Oh, no,
0: we spoiled the very end of the podcast.
1: <laughs> Where I try and guess what's next. <laughs> I had to read them all and memorize the order of the next, like, 14. So. <laughs> Weirdly dramatic music sting on the uh the tower scene just after... Is it the <laughs> fight with Merlin? Yeah um in in the uh the kitchen, yeah, and it like pans out to the tower after he gets told to fuck off back there, and then there's like this duh, 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 and some lightning, and it's just like, don't oh, know, yeah, but it that- didn't the scene didn't have the energy to move towards that sting in the first place, it didn't seem like a doom thing, it just seemed like a well, we already know you don't like Merlin. Merlin doesn't like you. Nothing has changed.
0: Yeah. (laughs) Eh. Squirrels do not mate for life. Male squirrels are not involved in child rearing.
1: (laughs) Oh, I've got that down here. You bet. I do not believe squirrels mate for life, Merlin. Same hat. Same hat. (laughs) Now,
0: I did not know that, but I looked it up.
1: (laughs) Almost no animals mate for life. Monogamy is not a very natural concept, all right? I'm not saying it's good or it's bad. I'm saying it's very human. Um, I... Fuck K. Fuck that guy. <laughs> fuck him for many reasons, but in particular, fuck him for, uh... uh but fuck him particularly for complaining about Arthur's stories obviously being made-up nonsense. They got wizarded on the first time Merlin <laughs> showed. He made indoor snowstorms. And they're like, well, turning into a sparrow seems like a bit of a stretch, though. Yeah. You must be full of shit. <laughs> what does it take to convince these people? <laughs> mm, I understand they're supposed to be unreasonable, but I, there's so many ways you could have done that without just having them be like, well, I don't see why I shouldn't pretend that nothing happened ever.
0: Yeah, it makes them seem really stupid.
1: Really, in In sense.
0: the same way that having a time-traveling wizard with magic makes the state of the world look really horrible because hang on why didn't you fix this there's lots of things that could be better
1: and I feel like Hector in particular is supposed to be kind of sympathetic like he's supposed to be a guy who is struggling who took in an orphan mm-hmm. and you know is clearly not a good dad but has some some sympathy and is trying to be sensible about discipline and stuff and this doesn't make him seem like this this, this does not make him seem like that this makes him seem like a gaslighting fuck
0: Mm-hmm. The Merlin packing his house song, higgity piggity, or whatever it's called. Whatever. How much is that? We have bibbity bobbity boo at home.
1: (laughs) Yeah, you. Oh wow, Merlin. Okay, you said Merlin is proto genie, and I don't think you're wrong. But he's also very. We have fairy godmother at home. Yep. Boy. What if we do a yeah. whole
0: movie with the fairy godmother in it?
1: Turns out it was a really good idea to only have her be around for like ten minutes.
0: Yeah, if you, if the character with infinite power can actually be present, you need a lot of good reasons why they don't fix things,
1: right? And the the affect as well, because she had the whole absent-minded. You know, I I am a being of ridiculous godlike power, but uh, you know, I will constantly be you know forgetting this or that or whatever. to hilarious effect. and like, I don't know if I would have had more tolerance for it as a kid, but by christ that gets old fast now mm-hmm. it's like uh, i get that you want to have him go yes 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 yes, yes. Oh, oh oh what oh yes very good like oh yeah okay the actor's having twice, fun the animator's having fun lots of fun oh too much though um i really did like most of the animal designs they were very cute much more appealing than the human character designs frankly
0: <laughs> every uh, time
1: they turn into animals i'm like yes great you you'll look not boring for the next 10 minutes and the next 10 minutes, very boringly.
0: I have the note. Haha, you should be flattered that this actual animal squirrel wants to fuck you.
1: <laughs> she's a badass. Yeah, she's pretty good. She fucked up a wolf, man. <laughs> How many squirrels do you know could fuck up a wolf for you? You In- marry that girl. <laughs> yeah. I- you turn her into a girl. And if she's still into you, you make her your queen.
0: Yeah. That's a much cooler story.
1: Oh, that That is a cool story. Squirrel wife, Yeah. <laughs> Conventionally, it's usually a seal, I guess, but squirrel <laughs> wife, yeah! yeah. Speaking Speaking of squirrels, um did did you pay much attention to that song? No. Cuz like taking it at face value, I like sorry kid, melon wants you to fuck a squirrel. I Yeah. He's being very clear about it.
0: You can't resist this.
1: <laughs> Give up and fuck the squirrel. 12-year-old <laughs> boy, go on. Ugh.
0: It's one of those things that in the charming, witless, never-think-about-women world of Disney. (laughs) Like, if if, if sex and consent aren't things, then yes, it's just a delightful feather-headed behavior of an animal. But when you remember that women exist and are people, it's really fucking weird that the times we see them have agency, it's being laughed off.
1: (laughs) It's, um... At least this was a movie where animals are different from humans, yes, and therefore having two people very clearly ignore consent was less upsetting than than in one of the many Disney movies where animals are people, basically. but yeah, wasn't great. Also kind of a bummer that they they did the you know big, ugly, mannish girl stereotype yeah. on, on Merlin, squirrel suitor. Because, I mean, why? She's unappealing because she's a squirrel. You don't also need to make her a pantodame squirrel that we're supposed to find unattractive just as be, a squirrel.
0: Just to be clear, this isn't a fuckable squirrel. Yeah. That's a fuckable squirrel. Yeah! We want you to know that you should want to fuck <laughs> that squirrel, not this squirrel.
1: Oh, God you're exactly right <laughs> yeah so that that was completely unfucking necessary stop doing that mm-hmm. Mine now? Uh, yeah yeah please take it
0: <laughs> merlin when he introduces the idea of magic to arthur says basically don't go thinking the most useful thing in the world <laughs> can be put to any use
1: don't go thinking magic will solve all your problems cuts to the kitchen Oh well, we can just use magic to solve this problem. Exactly. should we use magic to solve this problem, sir? Yes, yes, it'll be fine. <laughs> That's what I mean about Merlin being inconsistent.
0: Mm-hmm. Uh, and beyond that, the only other note I have in my whatever land is the comedic timing and, like, the jokes in this are actually pretty funny. Like, it's all, it's all big man fall in bathtub, ha ha. But, like, it's not there's no awkward
1: arrests like a stage play okay okay the visual gags yes the timing is very good the written gags i all through this movie i just found the punchlines were landing wildly off where they would have been for me like everything went on too fucking long right you're looking you didn't notice any written gags did you (laughs) i didn't realize those were meant to be funny Well, you know, funny and like you know how how Merlin would uh, not notice a thing that was being said to him and go yes, 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 and then take a beat to think about it and then go oh, I actually processed what you said, ha ha, whatever. Oh, like there's a lot of bits like that and a lot of just a lot of just stuff going on and on. And I'm like, all right, we're done with this. All right, can we please stop? All right, yes, I get it.
0: I was detecting incompetence's absence. <laughs>
1: Yeah, I um, I feel like this is a poorly written film. I agree. This time around, I mean, you know, by the Disney film, still line, but feel like there's a big one that I will get.
0: Yeah, and there's a reason it's the way
1: it is. <laughs> I'm gonna just uh, you know, re up my bet of money. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, let's see, I do have a couple more whatever lands. Uh, when Arthur loses his squire position. And Merlin convinces him to double down on his education. He says, Excellent. We'll start tomorrow. What have you been fucking doing up until now? <laughs> what was all of this? What were the fucking songs? <laughs>
0: I'm
1: just angry about that.
0: Literal metamorphosis.
1: Literal metamorphosis. Uh We have a rare case of cartoon water not being soft when the model plane falls out of the sky. Yes! It crashes like it hit concrete. Yep. And, uh, it probably should. Yep. So, yeah, alright. That's I can't think of any other time I've seen that in an animated movie.
0: Smash cut to Disney flying a model plane out his window, watching it <laughs> mash into a <laughs> mountain, and they're like, uh, that was research.
1: <laughs> <laughs> well, he did love machines. I could see that being a thing. He
0: fucking loved planes. He
1: did. I don't know if you get that much steam out of a a little bit of tea in a model steam engine but you know we'll we'll cartoon license yeah that's cute (laughs) boy Madame mim she is not a charismatic bad guy she is so like just comes in and fucks around for a bit and then just fucks off forever
0: she is one of the most blatant signs that this movie was made by its animators
1: yeah yeah this is true and the whole wizard deal that goes with her, of course, because that was yeah. entirely for the joy of animation. Yeah. Uh, and I feel like you can tell that because uh, the actual, the thought that went into making it clever was not, I mean, there are some clever choices made by both combatants, but Merlin is a bizarrely uncreative shapeshifter. Yeah. Given all the stuff we see. How do you not at least be a mongoose when you're fighting a snake? Come on, man. That's well, easy.
0: Well, you could also draw the line that um, the things she becomes are creatures we regard as horrible and profane. And the things he becomes are things that are all in some way acceptable or righteous.
1: Uh, yeah, but is a righteous. <laughs>
0: It's also Only from... because
1: they fight snakes and we hate snakes.
0: Yeah, so. it's also from Africa and I'm not entirely sure they'd have heard of it.
1: There's a rhino in that scene. Yeah, but rhinos.
0: There's yeah. a crocodile in that scene. Yeah, but those are all things that have been well established in adventure comics. Like a mongoose is... <laughs> I, honest to God, <laughs> mongoose might be too obscure for this audience.
1: All right, it might be.
0: Which is a shame because mongoose stories are great.
1: Or maybe we should take the opportunity to teach them something by having someone transform into an animal. Mm-hmm. Do you ever think about that? Merlin did. Hmm? Are mongoose Indian? Am I wrong on a... You know what? Wait, yes. Mongooses are Indian. I'm going
0: to include this in the... uh, This is not getting edited out. This is me, (laughs) genuinely, because I'm not always right. And yeah, you're right. I think mongoose are Indian, and I don't want to go and look that up because it'll make clacky sounds.
1: (laughs) All right. Hang on. Hang on. Redo. There was a tiger in that scene, Talon.
0: Okay, fair enough.
1: (laughs) And the Jungle Book is the next movie. (laughs) (laughs)
0: All right, you may have a point. <laughs> All
1: right, now we've got both our bases covered. You can just cut the bit that was wrong and no one will ever know. <laughs> hey, <it's> podcast magic. <laughs> no one but us will ever know why that's funny. <laughs> it's hilarious, trust me.
0: The wizard's duel does demonstrate the process of carcinization where everything eventually becomes a crab. <laughs> I
1: like that. <laughs> in fact, I made a, an offhanded MST child joke earlier in the fish scene where he's trying to remember how to turn someone to a, into a fish. And I could not resist saying, "Try a crab; it's probably easier." <laughs> oh dear, I'm not a biologist, but I've heard their jokes. <laughs> My last thing for whateverland is just that I find it fucking hilarious the way the the angel song thing works at the end. <laughs> it's like a proximity thing. <laughs> and I love it because it makes me envision that that whoever put the sword there is like yeah and just to make sure everyone gets it when the right person pulls it out I'll have this whole like angel choir thing waiting to go yeah and everyone will see it and they'll be like oh that shit's cool and then he does it when no one's there and it's like I I spent ages on that (laughs) that was supposed to impress everyone
0: (laughs) now imagine theremin style waggling your hand through it
1: love it love that it's like it's so it's very like 60s american reality disney to to have it be like a fucking clap lamp yeah it's delightful
0: <laughs> you're right you're right it's not the moment it's actually the object
1: <laughs> <It> totally- <laughs> all right all right that's my random selection of nonsense uh, which I think means it's time to talk this movie's biggest real issue, capitalism.
0: Mm-hmm. All right, so you've already made some predictions about how, <laughs> it, this, how much money this movie costs to get made. And would you hazard a guess as to if it made a lot of money, a modest amount, made back its budget, that kind of stuff?
1: Well, I'm trying to think about what it cost first. Like, it's obviously cheap. Do I think it's cheaper than Dalmatian? Because um, Dalmatians felt very cheap. I also spotted some reused footage in this one, but not as much, I don't think. Mm. But there were more shots where I was just like, oof, that one really could have gone back to the drafting table for another go around. Um, yeah, what the hell? I'll say it's close to Dalmatians, but I think cheaper.
0: You are in fact correct. This was made for $3 million, and it was a fight to get this one made. Oh, really? Into our story enters a new character, Roy Disney.
1: Oh, right. Walt's starting to be in hospital at this point, isn't he? Roy is starting to have to manage business stuff.
0: Not yet. What Not happened yet? here? Because the start the start production on this movie was
1: 1939. Oh, wow!
0: They got the rights to make this movie in 39. War happened, and they put it on the shelf and they left it alone.
1: In a fucking... Who owned the rights to this? It's is a ba- folk story.
0: Yes, but this is based on a English novel named *The Sword in the Stone*. That is a retelling of Arthurian legend. But even then, they also had to cook it down like syrup.
1: Yeah, well, it's such a weird choice. I don't know why you'd need to base your Arthur story on a book, but eh, I guess. I <laughs> wonder how far from the source material it was by the time they got done fitting it into this movie. Oh,
0: it's got the same content as seawater, I'm sure. <laughs> Roy Disney wanted to stop the company making animated films, period. <gasps> a villain! And focus instead on rerunning and re releasing their existing films in theaters as a constant intake of money. Okay. Which, at this point, I want to remind you like, uh, uh um, Sleeping Beauty had only just left theaters yeah. in 1963.
1: Probably not a bad choice.
0: Uh huh. But Disney, Walt, wanted not to do that because he wanted to build up capital for another theme park, right? So there is a big headbutting going on there. Uh, there's a big tension between the two. Nonetheless, 1963, it cost three million to make, and it struggled, but it did make 4.75 million yeah. in cinema rentals. I didn't
1: give you my opinion on its take, did I? But I was gonna say not great.
0: Yeah. It it limped over the it's line.
1: Definitely not great. Yeah. Oof.
0: But that was enough to win that argument. But there were other arguments behind the scenes in the making of this movie. Particularly, this was when they were gonna start making more movies. Cheaper in simultaneous and parallel lines because they could have this studio system set up, right?
1: Right, because we're getting into a period where they want to churn them out quite quickly or at least they
0: thought they did. They'd like
1: to be, yeah. Mm -hmm.
0: This further expanded on the use of that Xerox technology we mentioned last time and I don't know if I actually explained what that is. What they are doing is photocopying sketches onto cell. And that's why you're getting that sketchy quality.
1: Yeah. So, still painting cells, but you don't have to paint those detailed lines every time. A load easier.
0: Yeah. And you are getting a product that makes money. 101 Dalmatians made money. So, that's part of it. And for the pure animation, for the chari- for the the for the actual nine old men, this is to them a boon, because it means that they are sketching, then they are done because they can just move on to the next thick next part of the animation, and two other people are going to take over after them
1: i I don't know that that's new to the process, like
0: but it's faster
1: perhaps they've been painting their cells all this time, but it's my understanding that you have separate stuff for that but it would also just let them, yeah, as you say, they'd be able to do more ambitious stuff because no one has to replicate what they've done effectively.
0: Mm-hmm. And that's why you get that really distinctive sketchiness.
1: Which, by the way, footnote here, I don't know if I've said it, but I love that sketchiness. And part of why I love it is because you, you get to see some of those like formative lines that, that go into drawing these things. And if you're an anime nerd, that's kind of exciting. Yeah. Like, I always liked this as a kid.
0: I would like for this movie... I I would like for these movies to be better movies, but I don't have a problem with the animation style. I just assumed it was older because it looks more rough.
1: Yeah, that's fair.
0: In total box office, they re-screened it again in 72 and 83, which means that its total lifetime revenue is 22 million, which is nothing.
1: Yeah. Wow.
0: Yeah, this is... Like, we've
1: seen in the hundred millions for the ones that really went off in... Oh,
0: yeah. Like... Um, Cinderella's at 300 million yeah, it's, yeah. it's preposterous wow. whereas this one, no now, the story about how this movie got made they bought their, They got the rights in 1939 they didn't do anything with it until around about the start of Dalmatians
1: I imagine this was supposed to be much more like, high mind like feel like this was supposed to be classic Arthurian stuff, original. and uh, reshifting during this era to much more lighter and more, uh, you know, crowd-pleasing kind of themes. Mm-hmm. Uh, probably wound up with, with uh, you know, funny Merlin dragging a lot more of that focus.
0: Mm. Bill Pete was the guy whose job it was to reduce from the book to the um from the book to the movie and it's like the first chapters of the book it's terrible Uh, as far as if you were going into the book of like i want to get like the real full story of it like no you're getting nothing but whatever i
1: i mean we don't even need to get the full story like i don't at all mind the idea of separating the alpha legend into like pre-sword stuff and post-sword stuff yeah because they are worlds apart in tone anyway so like cool that's great yeah make the kid era stuff into a kid's movie. That's cool. That's a good concept.
0: And now here is where we get the beautiful second movie that they were trying to push to make. <laughs> have you ever heard the term Chanticleer? No, it's hovering around the edges.
1: I well, no, I have heard Chanticleer. Yeah. I uh, is is that one of the Chivalric Knight stories?
0: No, Chanticleer is a modernist play, oh. which was about a rooster that believed that its crowing made the sunrise
1: oh i have heard of this yeah
0: and it's a story about birds and it has a cock fight in it and it has this whole thing about how chanticleur the cock who who believes that he's bringing the sun up uh refusing to adorn himself with extra features and, re- and demanding to be seen as himself as an artist and winding up fleeing to the woods and, and and a pheasant falling in love with him and this whole story about how i i can't love you back because I love my aunt more. And like, this is the kind of story wow. that you just imagine. Just, you you can imagine the kind of people who look at Chanticleer and go like, <laughs> Ooh, 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 let's do that. So there were meetings. Sword and the Stone went first. Second second pitch, Chanticleer. No one talked throughout the whole meeting. Ew. Until at the very end, Walt Disney says, You just don't feel like picking a rooster up and petting it. Now, <laughs> now fetch me a glass of cigarette. <laughs>
1: Sorry, <laughs> I mean he's not wrong. I <laughs> oh god, is this how Alan a Dale happens?
0: Bill Bill Pete steps outside, explains the situation. Milt Carl is there and is furious, and Milt Carl ball, balls him out, yelling, "I can draw a damn fine rooster."
1: This is how Alan a Dale happens. Okay,
0: okay. Who voiced Alan a Dale in Roger Robin Miller? H- right. So they got a famous country singer to do the voice of the rooster. Yes. Some of the people involved in the animated adaptation of Chanticleer that Disney never did stuffed it all in a box, gave up on it, set it aside. In the 80s, a movie was made that was an animated adaptation of Chanticleer.
1: And that's Rock-A-Doodle. Yes. Wow.
0: And that's why Glenn Campbell, who is a <laughs> famous country singer. Is the voice of
1: the fucking rooster? Oh, wow. That was a winding trail. I'm, I'm gratified that I saw every part of that coming just before it landed. <laughs> but wow. <laughs> boy, oh boy, oh boy.
0: <laughs> I'm like, we're not going to go into Don Bluth on this podcast. It's a different
1: thing. I don't believe we are. But holy shit! <laughs> Everyone goes slightly into Don Bluth, but mostly just when we talk about the sad, sad story of Black Cauldron.
0: And furthermore, if you've seen Rockadoodle, it bears (laughs) about as much actual relationship to (laughs) Chanticleer, which is this story about the agony of the artist and the struggle of creativity and being yourself and being true to yourself and modernist spirituality <laughs> in in a like and I mean modernist, like nineteen fifties modernism, not now, kind of spirituality, in a world <laughs> the, the, the what you get in rockadoodle
1: <laughs> is fuckable chickens. <laughs> is def- <laughs> you, you, you see that chicken? That's the one you're supposed to watch. What a fuck! The fuck? <laughs> oh boy. Okay, so
0: thank you for coming with me on this truth journey.
1: That was a magical journey. I've learned so much and I've grown as a person, and I'm now ready to take my rightful place as king.
0: Aren't you glad I went and got that dug up though? I'm
1: incredible. so glad! Yes! Oh! <laughs> There truly is no end to Disney trivia shit you can learn.
0: As far as critical reception, though. (laughs) We can return to friend of the podcast, Bosley Crowther.
1: You mean enemy of the podcast. That dude talks out his ass constantly.
0: He praised the film, claiming it's...
1: An eye-filling package
0: of rollicking fun and thoughtful common sense. The humour sparkles with real, knowing, sophistication, meaning for all ages. And some of the characters on the 5th century landscape of old England are Disney pips.
1: Oh, fuck. He has no... (laughs) Have I ever agreed with this idiot on anything? (laughs) Fuck you, Bosley.
0: Bosley Crowther is notable in media studies landscape in general for being the public media critic who tried to argue that the movie Bonnie and Clyde should be banned for excessive violence.
1: Oh, okay, good. So I'm in good company, at least, in thinking this guy's a tool. He's,
0: he's a bit of a tool. I don't want to be too mean to the guy, but he seems to be a bit of a tool.
1: Well, he's dead, right? Yeah. Good.
0: Nonetheless, we have even more fun stuff in the case. Arthur's voice.
1: Um, is that not uh, Bobby again? Uh, what's his name?
0: Ricky Sorensen.
1: Oh, okay. Uh, I I thought this was uh, Pan, tragically fated voice actor again. He
0: got fired the week Peter Pan went up.
1: Oh, that's right. We talked about that. It was immediate. Mm -hmm. Well, this guy was obviously the replacement, Bobby.
0: Yep. Except what happened during production of this film?
1: His voice broke? Uh Uh-huh. Oh, my God. Which
0: means Arthur is voiced by Ricky Sorensen, Richard Reithemann, and Robert (laughs) Reithemann. Oh, my God. And Richard and Robert are the director's kids.
1: Oh, 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 wow. Well, I suppose it's for the best that he doesn't have too strong a personality then, because if you asked anything challenging of three different child actors, two of whom aren't really actors, then... hmm mm. Oh, well. I mean, it's to their credit that I couldn't tell there were three different voices there, I guess.
0: It was a big deal. Multiple critics noticed it and made fun oh, of it.
1: Oh, really? Wow. Yeah.
0: Talking about how maybe it would befit Disney to stop trying to make movies involving children if their voices don't work right.
1: I was gonna say, it's you know, it's almost like there's something about 12-year-old boys that, that makes it challenging to have them as voice cast.
0: Uh-huh. And one final note on the voice acting. From Sir Kay. Sir Kay's voice actor.
1: Oh, yeah. The, the voice actor I slagged off for not being able to yell.
0: I first heard this voice actor as his voice was yelling, Arbless... It's Unicron. This is the voice of Krennix from the Transformers movie. A character you hear in the opening seconds screaming in panic, pointing at the sky as a planet starts to devour his world.
1: Are they still getting him to hold back and not put out much volume? (laughs) I don't know. Maybe it's a deliberate choice. Maybe they didn't want to have someone yelling actually angrily at a child. Maybe they thought it'd be too real. I don't know. Ah. It's so strange to me, though. You know when you hear a a dub actor who's probably a perfectly good actor in their own right but has been, you know, given shit all direction and is not getting paid enough for this shit and, you know, when they're supposed to do a really dramatic yelling line, you can tell they're just sort of holding back.
0: Oh, yeah. His name was Norman Alden.
1: Okay, so does he have a history that I should be aware of? I mean, it's just ironic that you met him doing a yell.
0: I mean, yeah, there's a ton of stuff, actually, that you hypothetically should know him from, but that's assuming you were an interest in 1970s and 80s TV. Like, he was a guest star on tons of sitcoms. He did an episode of Small Wonder. He was in the movie I Never Promised You a Rose Garden. He was in K-Pax and Ed Wood and They Live. But
1: they live yeah (laughs) aside from that you could just be making up a list of titles and I'd have to believe you
0: he was in the original Back to the Future
1: (laughs) oh okay I've heard of that yeah yeah okay so yeah probably just weird direction there Yeah, I don't know I am for sure not surprised by that that box office report as a whole aside from our beautiful journey into uh (laughs) connected Disney land let's say (laughs) Disney connected land (laughs) Um
0: man the cannons
1: <laughs> and there were a couple more notes that I had on that subject actually uh, actually uh like you do, do you remember our early discussion about how snow is the new water? Yes, <laughs> boy, the snow in this movie was rough. It was kind of it was kind of like sand mm. with sparkles in it.
0: And what's really weird is if you look at looney Tunes of the time, they're animating snow all right. I don't know what's the difference.
1: It might be what they're putting it in the context of, like, Looney Tunes Snow looks like Snow would look in Looney Tunes.
0: Absolutely, But yeah. I don't
1: know if Looney Tunes Snow would look right in this, except for the bit where it looks like Looney Tunes. <laughs> so I don't know, maybe. Anyway, it looked well weird in the scenes that we saw it right in this one. There are also, I don't know if you noticed, um, there is a lot of silence yeah. in this movie. Um, normally, I don't notice soundtracking too much. And that's the goal a lot of the time. In It's different for the musicals. You're supposed to notice it there. And it's probably extra prominent because I noticed it so much in Cinderella. Given as that's a, a ballet. So very different soundtrack goals, let's say. But... There were so many scenes in this where I just, just suddenly realized there's been no music. Nothing at all. No score. Yeah.
0: Yeah, there's giant <laughs> chunks of this movie which is just dead quiet. And that
1: does make sense as a way to save money. Like, score is expensive and you don't get credit for it. Like, mm. no one goes, wow, the score was what really got me about this movie. Like, it's... it. I, I feel really sorry for score composers thinking about it because if you do it right a lot of the time it's not noticeable and if you don't do it at all half the time that's not noticeable either and that's
0: you did get some classic effort violins on the chain
1: effort violins
0: when someone's trying something Ah. and the violins play to the effort
1: (laughs) right right i like that it's
0: similar to the stealth cello
1: yeah it's not like there was no score and and when there was dramatic music, it was weirdly more dramatic than what was going yeah, on. Yeah, way
0: screen. more dramatic than it needed to be. Like, you know, go to your room, Merlin. Dun, dun,
1: dun. <laughs> and the, the Wizard Duel music was like... I don't know if that's the same music as from the climax in Sleeping Beauty, or if it's the same music as the climax in Robin Hood, which I always thought was the same music as the climax in Sleeping Beauty. I'm going to have to put a pin in that and try and do <laughs> <touch of> it. <laughs> but I feel like if it's not the same then it's the, the at-home version of that music, because it's so fucking similar. Yeah. And it did not feel in type with what had been going on otherwise.
0: Say musical director, and, you know, music by...
1: Um... George Brunn, I think it is. You make sense. I assume they have, like, in-house score and orchestra at this point, probably. Yep. They would use them so much that you may as well employ them directly. Sorry, I'm just being mad at Disney and capitalism again. Yep.
0: (laughs) But with that, I think we actually have squeezed everything we can out of this lemon.
1: Just about. Boy, that's quite telling that we spent that much time talking about other movies.
0: Yep. And I got to talk about Chanticleer. (laughs) (laughs) I know we've already mentioned it, but for the sake of formality, what's coming up next, Fox?
1: Right. This, well, as you say, it's it's the end of the second season. It's that our next movie is the last one that Disney himself worked on, which is the Jungle Book? You better keep those hinges oiled on the next <laughs> door, I think. But uh, you know, I'm sure I can't be as bad as Peter Pan. <laughs> ooh, ooh,
0: a challenge. <laughs> well. Either way, if you're listening to this podcast in full binge mode, uh, you should get ready to. You should know that next one you're going to have to turn the tape around.
1: Oh, yes, and uh, so, you know, otherwise you'll have to rewind it the whole way yourself. Exactly. I like doing that. Wait, tell him, what's a tape?
0: Well, you see, it's like a movie, but without any of the visuals. The, the end! end! Stupid fucking movie. Did it. <laughs>